0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Sensational, the special educational news podcast which is brought to you by Witherslight Group. Our podcast is all about celebrating neurodiversity and empowering parents and carers with further knowledge and understanding to support the children and young people in their care. Here at Witherslight Group we pride ourselves in providing advice and support for parents and carers so I hope that everyone listening today finds our discussion useful but enjoyable as well. So my name is Camilla and I'm the events manager for With a Slack group, and I'll be hosting today's podcast on building confidence and happiness. Now I'm delighted to welcome our speaker to the podcast, the wonderful Anne-Marie Harrison from Ideas Fresh Education, who we've worked with on events and webinars for a number of years now. So welcome, Anne-Marie. Would you like to tell everyone a bit about yourself? Hi. Hi, Camilla. Thank you. And thanks to Witherslack
1: for inviting me along. It's always a delight to work with the Witherslack group because we really share um, a really similar ethos in terms of supporting and um, trying to understand and, and help uh, families and professionals who are working with neurodiverse children, which is, of course, exactly where I come from, and that's what my aim is too. So, I de- de- develop and deliver uh, training programs and training sessions for families and professionals who are working in the field of neurodiversity. So, I'm the education director
0: for um, Ideas Afresh, and I look forward to chatting to you today. Fantastic. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. So let's get started. Um, Now, all parents want their child to be happy and confident. It's so important to the child's future. Confident children are likely to be better equipped to deal with peer pressure, responsibility, challenges, and both positive and negative emotions. But not all children are naturally confident. So to start off with, what are the key factors in developing a child's confidence?
1: I think that's a really good point, Camilla, because at the end of the day, confidence is what gives us the oomph and the energy. And the I talked previously about Brené Brown's um, sort of philosophy of being brave enough. And I, I think what grows our confidence is the same as what would grow any child's confidence. And I think a lot of our confidence growth comes from experience, success, from uh, having that success affirmed and from having praise given to us in a way that we understand it and that we can sort of use that and use that as as sort of fertilizer on our seeds of confidence as it were and I, I think for our children it's exactly the same that you know it's so important that we give them praise in a manner and a way that they are really open and receptive to that and I know you know for a lot of neurodiverse children families will say things like well if I tell him he's being good you know it seems to sort of trigger a negative response and so sometimes we have to be very creative in how we deliver that praise it might even need us to just be quietly you know writing a little sticky note and putting it on the fridge rather than giving very direct praise but I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later on but yeah. I think For a start we need to think of confidence as growing those seeds.
0: Mm -hmm. Great so we frequently hear from parents that their kids struggle with low self-esteem. Parents worry that their children are crying over something they've said, avoiding situations or criticising themselves. So what strategies can parents use to help build their child's self-esteem?
1: And I think Self-esteem and confidence go kind of so much hand in hand, don't they? That, uh, again, it's about really understanding our child. And, you know, I mentioned then understanding how we can deliver praise to our individual children in a way that it's very well received by them. And I think the same goes for self-esteem. We need to gain as much information and understanding and knowledge of our children's unique personalities, really in order to then work out well what's maybe triggering um some of that anxiety or low self esteem you know what's um is it to do with the fact that they're mismatching with communication or they're not quite getting their social peer group or social setup sort of on the nail you know are they sort of experiencing a lot of negativity when they are trying to do something and i think um If we don't address that, if we don't try and set up situations where our children do feel confident and also um, are building their self-esteem, then I think what can happen is we can end up in situations where, you know, I worked recently with a family and their son, um, Sam, you know, won't leave his room um, and his parents are really worried that he's missing out on that sort of confidence and self-esteem with his peers And I think whilst it's important that we respect the fact that for lots of our children, that time alone, that downtime is really necessary. I think it's also important that we ensure that, um, you know, opportunities to meet someone who has something in common with you is a really good way of building self-esteem. And you know, I know when um, I've I've looked before um, the Emily Page book when we did our uh, podcast on girls and autism, and I know in that book one of the real common sort of themes that came through. Was that importance of one good friend, and I, I think you know when we're thinking about building self esteem, having a good friend, having someone who has your back, who understands you. You know, we use that expression sometimes, gets you. And I think we all need to feel that someone gets us, and it's no different for our children in supporting their self esteem.
0: Oh, definitely, um that kind of leads us on to the next question. So. Certain factors over the past couple of years have had a huge effect on children such as lockdown and school closures. And this has caused some children to lose confidence in mixing with peers. What advice would you give to parents to encourage their children to mix with other children?
1: Yeah, we've kind of moved sort of nicely into that, haven't we really? When we think about the fact that actually it's, uh, I think it's very uh, remiss of any of us to overlook um the last two years and I know I was having a a conversation with some school teachers recently and sort of reassuring them that actually every child in the world is possibly um I think you have to choose a careful word I don't want to say deprived or missed out but they've had a different social experience so you know they've had a they've had they've not had no social experience but their social experiences have been different to maybe other generations have experienced in the past and so in terms of mixing with more than just familiar adults or familiar family members then they're on a new learning step a new learning journey and they may be having to start and understand about sharing about turn taking some of those real sort of skills that really kind of help with um, that whole area of building confidence in relationships. And so I think a good sort of reminder for ourselves is to take those very little steps. And when we're talking about, you know, one good friend to actually just maybe work on building one good friend before we move into bigger circles And so mixing slowly, really, and Mm -hmm. and for short periods, you know, rather than going to a whole birthday party, maybe this is a good time to consider perhaps just going at the end for tea and cake and, you know, restricting the exposure so that it's more on an acceptable level for
0: our individual child, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, So we've spoken with some parents who say their child appears happy at home. But the school say that they are sad and on edge. This may be down to academic expectations, anxiety, or even bullying. And some parents simply don't recognise this. How can parents work with schools to make their child happier at the school? And I
1: think that again, we, you know, our questions are really sort of weaving in quite nicely together here because yeah. if we think about what we just previously said, you know, that could also be added, yeah. you know, to that sort of feeling of um sort of being sad or anxious or upset at school. And I think the really important thing is that that's not just brushed aside, that it's acknowledged and that it is worked with. And I know recently um, I was working with a family um, over in Yorkshire and there um, SENCO has started using a thing called Talking Mats, which is basically um, just one of the you know ways, one of the approaches that can be helpful in supporting communication in terms of um, sharing your emotions. But in order to use something like that, you've got to also be able to self-analyse. You've got to be able to say, I feel like this because, or this makes me feel. And that's quite a, a developed social skill. So for many of our children, it might be more about picking up on sort of Their indications of you know, things that they might just drop into the conversation. And I had a a kind of realisation moment at New Year when I was watching the uh, New York, um, you know, the ball drop for um, new year in New York. And the little boy I was watching it with, who's about sort of nine and a half, ten, he he said to me, uh, oh, that's what I feel like when I'm upset. Like all my insides have fallen out and i thought that's such a revelation isn't it you know yeah. but i think it's great that's the so then the skill of that sort of uh, family member or that teacher is then to remember that and so use that as a way into emotional language and to share in emotional language rather than trying to pluck some strategy or some approach that you know someone i'm sure very skillful and very knowledgeable has come up with but sometimes Our children have the answers there and we just need to tune into them. And I think that's a much more successful um, way of working very often.
0: Okay, great. Um, So one of our parents recently told us that their child's confidence has been shattered by the fear of day to day scenarios such as going on an escalator or a lift. How can parents help their children acknowledge and face their fear rather than simply avoiding it?
1: And I think, again, that's, you know, it's about understanding our child's profile. And, you know, often we jump immediately to thinking, oh, there must be something sensory going on, which there may well be. You know, it could be that vestibular sense that's happening for our children, that they're perceiving movement or perceiving depth differently. And, of course, for them, that's a reality that it's... um, It's not kind of one of those, uh, I I know sometimes it's it's sort of almost marked as as misinformation from their senses. But of course, for that individual, there's nothing misinformed about it. That is their information. And for them, it's very real. So I think rationalising out the fear, I think, is, you know, really good in reassurance and sort of normalizing and explaining the reality so if you can work out if the fear is because of the way that um you know something's being seen or experienced then that's the bit that we need to try and tune into so for example if the fear is based around um a fall perhaps a fear of a fall then, you know, giving lots of reassurance and making sure that the, the child can hold on to you and, you know, not um, using one of the huge escalators in the underground to start with, but, you know, trying to find somewhere where it's smaller exposure so that we're gradually building up that experience and, you know, maybe even if, if it is possible, to you know find somewhere that an escalator's turned off so that you can just literally walk up it and I know we're sort of using an escalator as an example but fears and anxieties are very real for our children and sometimes they do get in the way you have worked with children who've had a fear of lampposts and you know that's very difficult because of course going outside we can't avoid seeing <laughs> lampposts <laughs> yeah. so sometimes it's about I think deciding how big is this fear Is it getting in the way? Um, How can we rationalise it? How can we uh, bring it down to the size of problem or concern that it really is? Because, you know, if it's a fear of crocodiles, well, actually, you know, in the UK, especially, we're able probably to cope with that quite admirably. But if it is a fear of lampposts or escalators or that sort of thing, then we need to just kind of desensitise slowly and work with and acknowledge um, that fear as well. Once we've worked out, is it a communication? Is it sensory? Is it based on um, misinformation in terms of something that a child's perhaps remembered? So sometimes reassuring with a, well, remember when we went to X, Y or Z with a visual um, reminder you know, you were okay and you you did it well. So taking photographs of successful um, times can be really helpful
0: in combating and working with fears that are getting in the way. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so we've spoken a lot about the lack of confidence, but moving on to the other extreme, some parents say overconfidence is causing an issue. So the child can be too loud and out- outspoken. How can parents help tone this down without crushing the child's spirit? I like that as
1: well, Camilla. We we do acknowledge, you know, we don't want to crush a child's spirit because at the end of the day, it's a harsh world out there. So you Mm -hmm. know, you are so right to want to foster that sort of confidence and self esteem that we've talked about. You know, we want to embrace that happy go lucky personality. And, you know, perhaps in some situations, there is room for some social coaching. And it's the same, really, isn't it? It's the same mm-hmm. as that child that's kind of at the other end of the spectrum. And perhaps, you know, pain will be described perhaps in more neurotypical world as, you know, painfully shy or, or reluctant to participate and anxious about joining in. And they need the same social coaching as that child that perhaps comes over as being overconfident. And sometimes I think we need to um, just hook into the knowledge that we have about this child, because, you know, again, in fact, the, the um, child who was in my mind over here in Yorkshire, um, you know, he's one of those little boys that, um, you know, he's, he's coming up to sort of early teens now, and he, he's got a way really through life by smiling his way through life. And, um, you know, he's worked out if he paints a big smile on his face, that, that that seems to be a helpful way for him yeah. to sort of cope with the world but in reality you know he appears very confident but sometimes like many adults you know that confidence can be a bit of a veneer and we need to just sort of um sometimes ease our way underneath to find the real and what's really going on here so I think you know social coaching is um, important for our children which when I talk about social coaching I'm talking about modeling I'm talking about practicing I'm talking about giving children lots of opportunities to succeed socially and you know if necessary putting in some very clear Uh, visual restrictions so perhaps in school if a child's putting their hand up 50 times in an hour then you know giving them hand raised tokens and things like that so you know we've not time to talk about lots of those strategies today but you know they are often things that can be sort of really helpful in even a social situation.
0: Great great so um cultural messages that kids absorb about having to be great at everything and look good can have a serious effect on their inner confidence and self-image. What can a parent do to address this?
1: I think, again, we're kind of going back to thinking about sort of normalising and um, modelling and, you know, looking and, you know, noticing those sort of changes in behaviour. I think Sometimes we, I think, overlook um, the, how much our children are sort of taking in. And, you know, it's not unusual for a, a neurotypical child um, to kind of feel um, socially challenged and, and how they can sort of fit in. And, and sometimes that kind of um, sort of so what um, approach for you know lots of our children so I think sometimes our children do sort of berate themselves and what we don't want to do is to sort of spiral or get into you know we don't want to avoid our children spiraling into sort of negative opinions of themselves so I think it's really important to talk about their individual profiles and explore together perhaps some maybe famous or well-known people who have similar profiles and, and highlight those to, you know, build confidence. And I know, um, you know, there's there's lots of uh, sort of things on Twitter and on Facebook that often, um, you know, advocate all those, you know, that might say um, what kind of some of the negative um thoughts around neurodiversity are but then you know they'll move into the the honest the creative the big-hearted the empathetic the spontaneous the fun you know all those um brave and eager and you know flipping around lots of those maybe negative connotations into um more positive connotations for our children
0: yeah fantastic so The pressures of modern life for children and young people are having a real um, impact on their confidence. Social media, cyberbullying, family problems and anxiety are just some of the different things children need to deal with. How can we recognise these um, issues and how can we encourage our children to overcome them?
1: I suppose really if we sort of strip back um, those concerns what we're talking about really is keeping our children safe isn't it and equipping them to keep themselves safe. And I think, you know, teaching them to say no and um, making sure that their no's are heard sometimes. And if they're saying no to something that is imperative in terms of keeping them safe, then putting an explanation in there rather than just a, a sort of rule is. And I think, um, you know, ensuring that we are tuned in to their level of development in that area of of self-understanding and being open to work with how to keep them safe, I think is really important. And I know um, that's certainly something that a lot of schools have taken on board and, um, you know, really are sort of tuning into as well, that, you know, we we have a responsibility as parents to not, Expose our kids to things that you know won't won't keep them safe, but of course you know there's a lot of um, news out there, and at the moment with the news of war, I know lots of families are doing lots of reassurance around the fact that you know whilst it is as awful as it is for our children, you know it's a long way away, and I think you know so long as we can reassure them of that, then that is important because. Sometimes I think because society is so much more open to everybody that our children get exposed more to perhaps um, what they need to know. So I think yeah. sometimes if we've got to a worry a, a child that you know ruminates a bit, then maybe just um, working on the what we need to know and keeping um, you know some of those uh, anxieties. As far from them and keeping them as safe as we can and again using modeling and role play and those opportunities.
0: Yeah so finally um, what are your top five tips for a confident and happy child?
1: I always think top five is hard isn't it but you know we've kind of talked um, sort of quite socially haven't we really Um, around lots of our uh, questions today but I think I think that feeling safe, um, you know, we've just talked then about keeping children safe, but I think children need to feel safe and they need to feel a safe place. So that would be sort of number one, you know, feeling a safe place. And that should be at home and at school and anywhere else. But, you know, they need to feel safe. And then, of course, you know, there's always the second one, isn't there? Well, our first one, they're hard to separate. But, you know, feeling loved, but also liked. And I think that's really important um, in terms of teaching, in terms of being carers and educators, as well as parents, that our children pick up very quickly if they are liked or not. And I, I think the third one would be um, that our children need to be listened to in a way that they are heard. And that doesn't mean about letting children have their own way all the time, but you know, acknowledging um what they're saying so that they know that you have heard them and then I think my fourth one would be to use praise that is um, permeating into that individual and not just um, sort of cursory and then you know as always um, I am an advocate as you know as as um, the world of autism is that actually using visuals, as we've kind of alluded to a couple of times with sticky notes and with, um, you know, turn-taking tokens, but using um, visuals really appropriately to build um, confidence and to to build happiness in our yeah. children, you know, is something that we can do. You know, visuals are not just for schedules. So I think, you know, having a bit of a skills board so that everybody's got um, a note on the board in the kitchen as to what they're good at and, um, you know, really embracing some of those super qualities that we know that um, our children have got.
0: Brilliant. So that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Some great advice there. And I'm I'm sure everyone will really benefit from that. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Thank you for inviting me along. It's been lovely to speak to you. So that just about brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Anne-Marie for her time today and to all our listeners for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening today, you might want to check out our other resources that we have on the Witherslack Group website. We have a wide range of support materials covering ADHD, autism, mental health and education health and care plans. For more information, please visit Witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash resources and I'll see you on another episode of Sensational in the future. Bye for now.